You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. Uh, I'm here with uh, someone who I've worked with for many years and someone who has been on our program before, uh, Rabbi Shmuelskeist, the Yeshiva of the Yeshiva of Newark. <laughs> you might be familiar with that name. You hear it, of course. It's our lead-in to all our podcasts. Shmuel, this is a special on principle because the challenge in Jewish education is the challenge of dealing still with the fallout of Chaim Walder, uh, the expose of Chaim Walder, the suicide of Chaim Walder, uh, the scandal of Chaim Walder, uh, the scandal to the reaction to Chaim Walder. Um, it's, uh, I think that uh, I turn to for a number of reasons. First of all, of course, not only of our friendship, but also specifically, primarily because you are someone who is not only a, uh, a top-flight Jewish educator for so many years, but also someone who is well-versed in clinical psychology, someone who is a therapist. I mean, it, it, you, you have walked, I guess, in, in some way in the shoes Walder supposedly wore uh, in terms of helping people and hearing people's problems. Um, so in many ways, I thought that your input about this would be very important. Um, so let, let's talk, what can we do to stop the creation of the next monster? I mean, you agree, right, Rishmul, that this man, at least in terms of what he acted and what he was, 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 was a monster of a human being. Um, is there, and those monsters are among us. History shows us that. What can we do to stem the tide of, of their development? What do you think? Well, so, you know, it's a really good question. And I don't know that anybody knows the complete answer to that question because, uh, well, historically, uh, no one has been able to stop monsters from arising yet. And uh, we may have to wait until uh, uh, B.S. Goyal Tzedek before, uh, before that actually happens. But uh, that, nevertheless, we have to try. I would think that when it comes to these things, uh, we're in a watershed moment uh, of uh, the development of the Haredi world, certainly in Eretz Yisrael, and perhaps to some extent by extension in America as well. But the watershed moment is a moment of communication. We live in a communication age. And despite the fact that we have uh, elderly octogenarian Rabbanim who seem to be pushing against communication. Uh, some of us who are a little bit younger, I won't be so bold as to say that I know better, but I still have to share my opinion. And my opinion is that in recovery, there's a saying that they always say, which is secrets make you sick. Every alcoholic that's ever been to AA meetings knows this knows this expression. Secrets keep you sick. Secrets make you sick and they keep you sick because secrets fester inside and turn ugly and so on. And in this, uh, in the discussion of sexual abuse, secrets, literally, the secretive nature of it is, and, and the, the fact that as a community, we don't talk about these things openly literally provides a space for these things to happen. So I think that that 
saying from the recovery movement applies to this 100%. Secrets will keep the community sick. If we don't talk about these things, we will stay sick. So we have to have communication about these things. And the communication, unfortunately, has to start at a very young age. I say unfortunately because we all know it would be wonderful to allow our children, my grandchildren, I have a grandson, a 10-year-old grandson in Eretz Yisrael who's asking his parents about about, uh, Chaim Walder and what happened. And it hurts that they have to talk to him about it. And it hurts that they have to let him know that he has to be very careful about you know, adults and being, being alone with adults or adults touching him and so on. Yet at the same time, it has to be done. And so I think that, number one, we can stop monsters from developing by having a communal, communal discussion about these things and not sweeping these things uh, into tzina and talking about them only quietly, but rather talking about them obviously in appropriate language and obviously uh, in uh, appropriate measure, but it should not carry this uh, uh, stigma of that it must only be very, very quietly and we have to be very careful about it and so on and so forth. Yeah, we have to be careful about it loudly and uh, and uh, openly. That's number one. Number two is that every monster started out as a child and children are generally not monsters by birth. It's something that develops. I don't know if your guest, Sam Juni, would 100% children. Things happen to people as they grow up that cause or allow for, I should say, because it's not you know, black and white that it must cause uh, uh, something to happen, but that allows for very negative things to develop. And uh, so, so you're saying Walder became Walder. Something Walder was probably someone who was scarred himself when he was younger. I would be shocked if that was not the case. It it, it does not make sense to me that a human being would be born and go through a normal, healthy, wonderful childhood and grow up to be a monster. That's just not the way things work. So let's assume, let's assume for, and I think many people have hypothesized this, that Walder himself was probably an abused child in some way, uh, recognized that sort of aggression and uh, that was happening from others onto him. But, But I guess what you're getting to is that many of us are so disgusted by Walder we don't realize that maybe Walder, are you saying Walder could have been nipped in the bud before he becomes this Lothario that he developed into? I, I think that, uh, look, let's just, uh, again, this is completely making assumptions and, and uh, hypothesizing, but let's hypothesize that A, he was abused in some way. In, in his time, he was not able to speak about it. He did not get help. He didn't talk to people about it. So there's already silence happening there. Then he grows up, he becomes a teenager and he becomes a young adult. He's a talented writer, or at least a writer. We'll talk about the talent part soon. But um, get acclaim and recognition for his writing. And let's assume that he didn't, that, that his intention, I know people are saying that, you know, he manipulated and so on. It's, it, when they say that, that monsters go out and, they, and, and abusers find jobs and so on where they can hide behind the job in order to to groom uh victims 
I, I think that it's important, at least from my understanding, is that, that that's not necessarily such a conscious process. It's not like they sit and they look at a list of careers. Let me go to a career counselor and sit down and say, you know, I'd like to be able to have a career where I can also abuse victims. Which careers are likely to, for that to happen? It's not a conscious thought out process, right? So it happens, it develops over time. So uh, I think that the, the next thing that I would say is not only do we need to be more open in general about discussing with our children and in the community about sexual abuse, I think we need to also have more open conversations about sexuality in general and about the various uh, things that come up with sexual. Look, it's a complicated topic. It's a, a loaded topic in every society, but people have thoughts and it's not that uncommon to have thoughts that are unacceptable. And when we so, have thoughts so, that so, are so, already- so if Walter, let's say, was in, in, in Walder's case, I assume he went to a he had a yeshivish uh, upbringing. I'm not sure. I didn't do research on him to know which yeshiva he went to. But if Walder was feeling these type of thoughts of lust towards boys, girls, whatever it was, he would probably have gone to who? The mashkiach in the yeshiva or something, right? And or 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 he would have been afraid to go. What you're, I think, what you're suggesting is we need to have in the Haredi world and throughout the world places where if someone is feeling this, they have someone, a counselor that they could talk to and they could perhaps realize that there is a, a mahalach for themselves and in something where the scientific-based counseling as opposed to browbeating them and just giving them an eitzah uh, of Masilsi Sharam or Shari Chuva, right? We're talking Correct. about... Uh, All right. I, w- I would go even further and I would say that you know, with all the discussion about counseling, and we have definitely made a lot of progress in this area, uh, one thing that does not exist, and it, or I shouldn't say doesn't exist, but rarely exists in the firm community, is group counseling. Group counseling is a well-recognized and a well-researched form of counseling that actually allows people to work out their social issues be- and, and very often it's fascinating because people br- bring into the group all the issues that they deal with on the outside world with their family members, with their bosses, with their workers, with their friends. And it ends up getting reenacted in the room at, where it can be worked out in a safe space with other people who are also struggling with similar issues or with other issues that are also social based. Now, so it's counterintuitive a little bit, right? Usually it's you would be counterintuitive. It's certainly counterintuitive to from Jews where the idea of going into a group of people and discussing something that's happening at home or, or that's happening at work is like lush and hara and 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 scary to to do because and so on. But but this is a therapeutic thing. I don't know what what uh, Dr. Journey would would say, but in general, imagine if there if 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 Walder had heard a a schmooze where a mashkiach had talked openly about the fact that people might have uh, thoughts that are unacceptable and suggested actual ways to deal with it, suggested actual people, addresses, phone numbers to call. Again, I can't, I'm not a Navi. I have no idea if it would have, you know, if it would have saved victims, but at least we should be trying. And it, in my mind, it seems to me, that if somebody's a young person who has not yet done these things, has not yet become the monster, who starts recognizing these things and has heard talk about it, has heard schmoozing about it, has heard addresses and so on, 
they might be more likely to recognize, okay, this is one of the, this is a thing that sometimes happens to some people. And I'm going to call somebody and ask for help. You know, you know, I'm just thinking as we're talking that sometimes, you know, you know about this as well, that when you have a one-on-one therapy, there's a certain like surrealistic dynamic that occurs with displacement and, 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 and it's almost like you can assume an unrealistic version of yourself when you're talking to your, your therapist. Whereas in this guarded, measured social situation, although there's, there's other people there, you would think you put on masks in front of other people, but you're saying that actually might be more healthy because the person, first of all, would see other people who are suffering like he are, like he is, and, 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 and he would be able to perhaps uh, have to defend, alter, and the, the memories of all those other people and what they're struggling with and, and maybe their successes might be something that could give him hope that they can uh, succeed. Whereas with their counselor, with their therapist, they might even be scared to really reveal their real self and might just be going through some sort of act. Uh, am, I, am I on the right track? So you know what's even more powerful than, um, than hearing a schmooze or hearing uh, from a Rebbe or from a therapist what the right thing is? Hearing from other people who are just regular people but have access and are, and are, are privileged to, uh, to be in a group together where people share their deeper, deepest innermost thoughts and to be, to be able to bring a thought, even a terrible thought, uh, out of its secrecy and, and lay it on the table and receive feedback from other people in an honest way, in an honest, caring way, but sometimes brutally honest, it's incredibly powerful. You know, you know, one of the programs that we do, you mentioned large. I've heard from people from in the prisons who work there, psychologists who have come on our program have told us that we're not saying that the person has eliminated that desire within them, but there, is, but there are ways to clamp down and to use, just like the Ebenezer talks about Leisachmoid, you know, in the Aseris Adibros in next week's Parsha, the, the, the Ebenezer talks about there are, are psychological ways that you can stop chemda from happening. Uh, and it would seem that many of these prisoners who have paid the price, it might be, inter- it might be good for our monsters in making to hear from the monsters who are imprisoned, who are now like, sc- being scared straight, so to speak. Right? Right? That, that might be something as well. Well, that's an interesting idea. It would have to be, really, you know, when you take teenagers. That's to what I'm saying. They take age. kids who are JD, juvenile delinquents in training, and they take them to prison to say, okay, learn from me. Don't be like me. Right. Look at me. So I'm, not, I'm just not sure if that actually produces results. That, that, that would need to be, I would need to look at the literature to see if that actually works. But, but at, at least, again, you know, I, I think one of the things you once told me in a different conversation, which, which really uh, rang a bell with me, was that when you have an abuser and he looks in the mirror and he hates himself and he knows what he's done, then of course he's going to continue doing it because he, he, he himself, he believes he's the monster himself. And therefore he continues acting in this way because he's already done it. He's now going to keep on doing it. Um, I think what you, what we are talking about, what you're talking about really is stopping it before he reaches that stage that he believes the die is cast. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he might he might already think he's a monster just for having the thoughts. And so if he thinks he's a monster for having the thoughts, then it, the, what's to hold him back from actually carrying out the action because he's already a monster. And, you know? and it's unfortunate, I think, the the although we know in Lumdis there's a difference between the Marshava and the Maisa, but the condemnation that, that usually ensues when he'll admit to these thoughts is going to be so intense that it's almost like I'm already a Russia Marusha because I have these lusts for these children or the lust for these uh, for these boys or adults or whatever it is that he's lusting for. Um, right. And so communication and being more open about these things and letting people know exactly this point that having thoughts, it's something to be uh, taken seriously and, you, and you, need to, you need to talk to someone about it, but it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a Russia. It doesn't you make know, you I, I, I think part of it is the romantic Talmudic and Midrashic uh, ideas that we have that, uh, and even the Rambam, you know, you can change yourself. You're an Ish Acher. Uh, you, you're not the same person. I, I think that we need to temper that a little bit of what our evidence is telling us, because when a person sees he's like, he's, Oh, I did Shuvah. I went through Yom Kippur. I clapped Al Chet. I, I never look at those pictures anymore, but then they find in so many cases that they are still, Omay to that, and they believe that the chuva process wasn't worth anything, right? I think that what we probably need is we need to sprinkle a dose of realism for people to realize that you might be stuck with this. And you know, Rev. Aaron um, Feldman talked about this in terms of homosexuality. You know, when he talked about you know the the film Trembling Before God, when he was asked to comment on it uh, in in his video response. He mentioned the fact, in quoting the Briskarov, that uh, not to say oh, I can be ma'akar homosexuality from myself completely, but this is who I am. These are uh, these are my tivas. This is where I'm at. Uh, to come to grips with that uh, and to realize now, I, I, I'm really pushing an envelope, saying that look, my taiva is going to be. I'm going to have a thing for little girls or little boys, and that's who I am. But but I think we're we're getting close to that. We're getting close to, to, to something like that, although I'm never going to act upon it. I mean, he told, Rav Aaron said that according to the Briskarov, someone who came and said that he, he couldn't have taiva for a woman was told, okay, so do other mitzvahs, realize that, that, that you don't have the mitzvah per revu, don't hate yourself, realize that's who you are. Is it possible that someone who has what we consider these monstrous des- fantasy desires, maybe it's possible he could also can somehow channel it into something. I don't know what, but channel it to some sort of, at least clamp it, channel it, come up with something else where the person doesn't act upon it. So I agree to some extent, but I also feel that it is extremely important for me to mention that I am uncomfortable with putting homosexuality in the same category as these things i want, I, want I, I didn't mean to imply that these i know you didn't this, but this is this is homosexuality is is a consensual act of you generally and it's it, and it, 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 it's it's we would call it deviant from our torah perspective while the people who act against children are rapists are are murderers in a certain ways 
are, 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 are soulless and are, right. I, 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 I didn't mean to conflate them. I just meant the same way homosexuality, toeva. Here's the Torah from Ravaren Feldman. Why don't we use, why don't we use somebody who has uh, a, right? So what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is that if we see that we can take thoughts and recognize that we might have them, but we don't have to act on them. So uh, it, it, it's, we could say that somebody who has thoughts of, let's say, violence and, and rape and so on and so forth, uh, they don't have to act on those thoughts as well. Is that, what, is, is that what you're saying? Not so much not to act on it, but also just like the Briskorov told this homosexual person, according to Ravaren, that he would be able to, first of all, be satisfied that he doesn't have to marry a, a woman because he doesn't have the mitzvah pruravu, but he can therefore now work on ways that he can creatively contribute to society. In other words, I'm not a monster. I'm a, I'm a homosexual. I'm not a monster. I don't have the mitzvah. I'm not going to get married and, and, and have a terrible relationship with a woman and live a life that's a lie. What I'll do is I, I'll be celibate and I'll find other ways. And I, and I can be comfortable with that. In the same way, someone who is a person who realizes that he has these desires, is it it's possible that, look, you have a, what we would call a perverted, terrible, ugly imagination, which is bubbling within you. You're not a monster for it. You, of course, have to keep it in check. But there might be some way that you can somehow still live with that and still be a contributor. What I was saying, to, 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 there's one way you could say you're going to do chuva to the point that you never even think about a little girl anymore. You don't think about this act of uh, the, the okay. pleasure so, of that. Race. So getting back to that, I think that, um, I mean, I don't know how others present it, but uh, I think pretty much almost every year before Yom Naraim, I talk to the to Talmudim in the yeshiva and I tell them that um, one of the biggest challenges with the, um, the whole process of Elul or Shani Yom Kippur is that it feels like we're in uh, um, Groundhog Day. Right, like we 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 we're suddenly oh Elul's here. I have to start taking stock, and when I start taking stock, I find out it's pretty much the same stock that I had last year. Right, the, and 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 that change, real change, and real progress in our developing as human beings in terms of our um, our actions and controlling our actions and being in touch with our inner selves really happens very very slowly and only with difficult, sustained effort over time. And so uh, the idea that, that someone can really make change is absolutely true. The idea that somebody can not think about it, not go through a process for a very long time uh, and, and not go into a very deep uh, inner search and make change is just not true. It doesn't happen. And that's why we have Elul and then Rosh Hashanah, Sersimei Tshuva, Yom Kippur, that's not enough. We also need that over over the course of many years of our lives. So, but again, from your therapy uh, experience and from what you've read and what you know, someone who has the type of, I don't know if it's a mania or uh, this desire of a, like a Walder, can it be uh, eliminated on, under normal circumstances from him? Or is it something like homosexuality that you probably are not going to be able to use a conversion therapy to change your desires. 
That's really what I'm asking. And, and therefore, what I'm suggesting is, is that that person keeps it in check, just like these prisoners, and has other ways to be productive and to be and to contribute. <laughs> and to contribute, he has to know, of course, the same way uh, Rav, uh, Rav Aaron says, "Don't get married if you're homosexual to uh, you know and, and, and live the, the, the a false life." He has to realize that he probably should not be a kindergarten teacher or a camp director or anything like that, recognizing where what his weaknesses are. I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure that the thoughts. Um, you know, from my experience, thoughts are just thoughts. Thoughts are not reality. And the fact that we have, we actually, the studies have shown that we have somewhere above 50,000 thoughts a day, which translates roughly to about a thought a second. Um, I always say that's the idea of hear her. Here, her cognitive behavioral therapy being the most commonly known, really challenge thoughts and and uh, but they don't. I think the smart people who practice these things don't try to get rid of thoughts. Trying to get rid of a thought is well known, a well known um, process that does not work. You know, try not to think of a purple elephant. Usually they use pink. I don't know why I said purple, but, um, you know, try not to think of it. And there you go thinking about it. And there's a very good reason for that, because the brain, in order to uh, make sure not to think about something, has to identify it, which means it's thinking about it. So you end up in a, a, a brain loop. So the idea of getting rid of thoughts is incorrect and unlikely to produce any real results in, in, in my experience and in my opinion. But changing our relationship to thoughts, that's where the gold is. So having a thought that makes a person feel like they are a Russia or a monster is uh, much more likely to lead to some sort of action in that direction. Having a thought and working with that thought to the point where it's like, oh, there's that thought again, that it's so crazy how my brain keeps bringing that up. Thanks for showing up. I'm sure you're trying to help me in some weird, distorted way. Uh, but I'm going to choose to focus on, you know, this book that I'm reading or this whatever and and sort of not being so upset about it showing up and not feeling that because I had this thought there's something terrible. That, that's the way we work with the, with with uh, with unwanted thoughts. And the, there's uh, people have have tremendous success with changing all sorts of thoughts. So, you know, you're, you're, you seem to be, you know, you keep, you're bringing these very specific examples, but I, I don't really see any of these thoughts as any different than any of the other million bizarre thoughts that we have during the day. Yeah. Okay. But th- there's certain thoughts that, that we, that we relish, you know, the, you know, it, 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 the ones that somehow touch, <clears throat> touch us in a way that we go back to them uh like it's one thing to have the weirdest thing like you know you might say you know someone's on the subway with you and is jostling you or or or, or is playing music so loud so there might be one second in your mind that you could think of punching this guy in the face right but then it goes away you never really were planning on doing it at all in fact you never even go back there but then you have another situation a type of situation where there's a thing there's almost like this space that you go back to and you and you it gives it somehow is your comfort comfortable chair. I'm assuming that people like Walder 
these thoughts of domination of these children and the things that were going on were it was it was the chair that they always uh, would want to think about it was it was the chair that was motivating the uh, the facade of everything else right the facade of 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 getting them into the back room getting them into the uh you know into the back of this farm store somehow those thoughts and, and if we say or we're talking about these monsters that are becoming I'm just asking, those thoughts are there. They're finding themselves going back there. They're finding their minds, finding comfort there. They're finding themselves like fantasizing about that more than just living in it and imagining it and perhaps even self-pleasuring themselves while those thoughts are going on. Those are the people that I think, again, I'm I'm just speculating. I haven't read about it, but that's, and I, I haven't studied about it in any professional manner, but I'm saying those are the people that are in that situation where, hmm, there's something different about you. It isn't just some sort of wild idea that's in your mind. You are, you have a tendency towards this. So now the question is, what do we do with you? Okay. That, that's how so, so obviously some thoughts are much more charged than others. And some thoughts have uh, neural pathways that go back to all sorts of things like, like trauma that happened in childhood, et cetera, et cetera. And they're very, very difficult to work with. I'm not denying that some thoughts are really difficult. Um, people uh, with OCD have thoughts that uh, literally disrupt their lives on every, on, on every single level. And, uh, but, but that's my point. My point is that this is not the only area that there, that, uh, of thoughts that can cause tremendous damage, both to the person having them and other people, uh, exists. And so... So my point is that letting people know that having these kinds of thoughts or having thoughts that are particularly troubling and particularly when they come and show up over and over again are particularly charged, that these are things that need to be dealt with. You need to take them seriously in terms of getting the help of a professional to deal with them, to make sure that you are able to... uh, process them and, and, and relate to them in a way that they will not have that power over you in a way that will, that will, they will lose some of that charge. And even if they remain charged until a person's dying day, if the charged thought has not pushed them to act on it, then that's a tremendous success. Even if the, right, the, the thought doesn't have to be gotten rid of. That's my, my, my point. So I, I, I'm, I think I'm destructive. Now, when we talk about people who have these aberrant, sexual feelings, which my friend Sam Juni says is just psychosexual aggression. It's not necessarily um, by Walter's case, but there might be others who really do have some sort of uh, mania for a certain type of sexual partner that they can't get out of their head. Now, let's assume that this fellow didn't get help, but still is struggling with it, right? And, 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 and is even in a position where, like Walter, they do have access to children Nebuch. there might be another eight and the other eights of course if they are married is that they can in their mind in the normal conjugal relations with their spouse be able to free their mind for any of these types of perversions and you know without you know and that because again it's the it's obviously the turn on that their body wants it's in their mind and they have in a way uh, a partner that allows that to occur, and then they aren't a danger 
outward. And, and we do have Chazal talking about in ways like, you know, that, that they're saving us from Ra, that our wives need schar because they save us from taivas with other women. And, and, and Chazal do talk about, although they condemn it in a way, and they say your children are not going to be tzaddikim, Chazal were very aware of this b'nei tamura. Chazal were aware, and Hilchas Nius, of course, it's in Shulchan Aruch, but it's also mentioned throughout Chazal, and it seemed to be a well-known thing that people would, they're stuck with this woman for life, they're not going to give her a get, but who knows what sort of thoughts they have in their married relationship with them. Again, I'm, 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 obvious, listen, I'm not a therapist. This is just... Sure, on one condition, that they tell their wives what they're <laughs> thinking about. And if their wives are able to accept that and hear that and still want to go, go to sleep in the same bedroom that night, <laughs> then, other than that, absolutely not. And the reason why I say that is very simply, first of all, it's... Uh, it may not, their wives may not know about it, but it's abusing their wife. And because if she did know about it, she'd be horrified. That's number one. So literally it's using, it's, 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 it's the ultimate objectification of a woman to, to use her for, for, for a sexual pleasure when it's not even about her at all. It's, it's, uh, it, it's in my mind, uh, about uh, the, the farthest thing from what, is supposed to be achieved by the union of a husband and wife. And worse than that, it strengthens the neural pathways of this fantasy. Because, so if, you see, here's the thing, and we get back to what I said before. The crazy thing about fantasies is that when you talk about fantasies, they are rendered somewhat impotent. Not completely, but... Uh, what's the first thing they teach you when, in, when you become a therapist? And they say, you know, it, there's a long tradition in therapy that you may be dealing with a person of the opposite sex, and you may feel a sense of attraction. The attraction might be because you care about them and so on and so forth, or they may, con- they may, they may be uh, seductive in some way. And you, it, it is not abnormal to have such feelings as a therapist. And what is the remedy for that thing the remedy is that it cannot stay a secret so first of all you have to talk to your supervisor about it or to a supervisor or a peer who is an experienced therapist about it and in some cases it's important to even bring it up in the therapy obviously as the therapist you have to be careful and you have to know your client and you have to you have to have input from someone else but the minute that it is put on the table just to imagine and just to understand it you know um, a, a, a uh, we'll use my age, a 57-year-old therapist is, is seeing a, uh, is, is trying to help a, a, a 35-year-old or 32-year-old woman. And um, he uh, it, it talks about a, a, uh, a feeling that he has for her. Uh, it, it is likely to dissipate the entire thing because, because the minute you expose such a thing and you recognize the disparity of it, the disparity of the power disparity of it, the, the, the fact that she, let's say she's married to someone else, right? This, once you actually sort of acknowledge it, it loses some of its power. And generally speaking, it loses enough of its power for it to become less of a chance of, of becoming real. Again, especially when it's spoken about clinically and healthily. I'm not talking about when it's, you know, when, when it's acted upon and the talking about it is part of the acting upon, right? So the person who is keeping this big secret and is in his mind using his wife 
And I say using because that's all he's doing. He's using his wife to strengthen this fantasy that he has. That's, uh, I would say that it's actually more likely over time to end up acting out on the fantasy than, uh, and I think such a person, any, I think I would say that I would even broaden it. Anyone who is unable to have relations with their wife without fantasizing about another person needs to see somebody who is trained to help them deal with this. This is not okay. All right. I know we've gone a little bit far afield. Let, let, let's, let's go back to Walter himself for a minute. You know, we, we uh, on our platform, we've talked about the tepid, ugly, ridiculous responses that have occurred. Um, I know that one of the things that uh, in a previous conversation that we were having was when we first discussed it, we were talking about um, his books and we're talking about uh, the significance of his books and how they were uh, considered really the the ultimate that they had been uh, awarded, of course, this great prize as the, he was the Megan Yavadim. And it was uh, in your home and in my home, uh, our children uh, and Sam Juni's home, everybody is, was reading these books and, and, and enjoying them and feeling that this was something novel, something that was important. Um, and, and therefore, the again, even you know, Walder himself, you know, in his last, in, in his in the suicide note, uh, talks about the greatness of his books and how incredible they were, and how whatever you think about him, realize that his books represent the greatest gift that he could give to humanity. Um, it, it it seems like there was a an acceptance about how incredible these books were. Right? And therefore, the shock that the author of these books that did so much for children should be this predator of children. It was it, it, it brought people into a cathartic state. They couldn't they, they weren't able to to function properly. They weren't able to truly even process. It was so it, it, it staggered people's minds. OK, you know, I didn't read the books growing up. My, my my kids tell me how much it meant to them that it, it, my daughter said it was really very great books what's your take on this on on, on and, and maybe maybe there's something we can learn from you know the the perch that he created for himself as the author of of these books that sort of that that perhaps and, and, and I don't know if you agree with me but perhaps allowed people to discount some of the other indicators again it's been clear that there was uh, various gitin where he was named as the noaf and rashmul leo and others have talked about the fact that this was known in rabbinic circles but yet there was a the the, the he was impenetrable because he occupied and was generating something that people considered so important and because of that, he wasn't taken down earlier. Um, I know you have some thoughts about... His- we have a lot to offer, and there's a lot of value in the Haredi community and the Frum community and the Frum world. And when we operate, when the primary driver of our decision-making process is fear, we open ourselves up to unintended consequences. And I think that's what ha- happened here. I, you and I did not grow up with a from press. 
And you've heard me say at least a dozen times in the time that we've known each other how grateful I am that I did not grow up uh, during a time that there was this from press. Now, that's not to say that there weren't from books. There was... Um, I devoured Olamenu every week when it came Olamenu, there was Mark, there was um, Lehman, Marcus Lehman, and uh, Akiva, Akiba, right. and, and uh, you know, uh, the Count of Kusi, and so on. And I, I love those books, for sure. So I am, I'm, I'm not saying that the whole idea of a from press is a bad idea at all. But the idea that, that we should have an exclusively from press and that we have to somehow come up with authors that are going to compete with the, the likes of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, uh, Conan Doyle, or, or, or um, I don't know. I can well, as far it. as children goes, I mean, in terms of children's experiences, you know, Dickens did it over and over again, whether right. it was Great Expectations, right. Oliver Twist, um, right. you know, right. hard times. Dickens constantly put himself into the mind of a child, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, but my point is that, but yeah, that's exactly my point. I mean, you know, was Walder a Dickens? I mean, come on. I, 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 no, by by a long shot, he was not, right? So we 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 only we it's kind of like when they do those 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 song parodies where they take amazing non-Jewish songs, like uh um there's an album that came out a few years ago and it had that song about uh what was, was that song again about the father and the son you know what i'm talking about that's in uh, the cradle cats in the cradle right so somebody went ahead and had to give from lyrics to cats in the cradle you know you know like how bizarre is that there's you look at the lyrics the actual lyrics to cats in the cradle are incredible and they apply to all fathers and sons and across the board, it doesn't matter what religion you are, whether you're from, whether you're not from, to the idea, the very idea that somehow we have to have a from version of that is to me, a, a coming from a place of fear that is driving this sort of weird, I, I, can't, I don't know, to me, it's strange. Maybe it's just strange because I didn't grow up that way, but like, you know, well, especially and, especially if it ends up with basically the same song and the same music, right? It's like it's like what sort of fear, you know? What sort of shield did you do? All you did was basically pilfer the song and change it from I didn't hear the song. But I assume it's you know you know instead of my son went to yeshiva, instead of my son went to college, right? You know, right? Exactly. or maybe dad, can I borrow the Gemara instead of can I borrow the car keys? You know, can I borrow the key to the the Sfarim shrank? You exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly, <laughs> and and we you know and and we've had a number of you know. When we started the yeshiva, there was a there was a newspaper that wouldn't allow us to mention the word college in our ads. We could say degree, but we couldn't say college, as if their audience, their reading audience, were imbeciles and didn't know that you get a degree in college. But I mean, you know, so this fear and this idea that we 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 must be completely sheltered. So what happens is, first of all, we end up with authors who are nowhere near as good as the classics. Who are who? Who? I'm sorry. Uh, Walder wrote good books, no question about it. My kids have told me I haven't read them. My kids have told me they were very good and they loved them. And so I also I understand. Like I said, Marcus Lehman, I read his books and I loved them, but he was not as great an author as many of the other secular authors that I read. We don't have a Dr. Seuss. We don't have somebody who's as talented as that, and we don't have artists. Well, lately there's some incredible art coming up, but still, for the most, they're Bali Chuba, right? <laughs> Within our community, we don't spend the kind of time 
at learning these crafts as the yesh chachma bagayim, right? So I think now I am not therefore advocating that we just drop all guards and let anything into the house and just read anything that's out there. But I'm sorry if Fenton W. Dixon, who wrote the Hardy Boys, was a pedophile or not. I have no idea, nor could I care less, nor would it impact me if I found out that he was. Because I read the Hardy, I grew up on the Hardy Boys. I read every single volume uh, that, uh, and 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 um, it had nothing to do. I, I understood that it was coming from the non-Jewish world. I understood that it, the the author wasn't representing a Torah perspective or a morally pure perspective. I understood what it was, and I'm sorry, but part of the reason why we ended up in this position is because we are so desperate to keep out the entire world, and we can't expose ourselves to anything outside of our own. So when somebody shows a little bit of talent and writes something that's actually, you know, uh, grammatically correct and, and uh, touches a chord and, and has, and has uh, good elements, the good elements of a story and a plot line, et cetera, et cetera, so suddenly they become a uh, a celebrity. It's the same. It's the same reason why you know when somebody uh, uh, you know I, I'm a musician. Fiction, Walder. I think what made him unique in our world was that he was dealing with children, not just hey, like Encyclopedia Brown or solving the mystery and figuring stuff out, but actually kids like the young adult novels where you know like jerry spinelli and others have written where kids have gone through stuff and they're suffering and and they have a voice uh they're talking about problems they had being bullied um being disliked at school uh having a stuttering issue having a a a step parent who was who was abusive or hurtful to them and giving those kids those voices those those books also appear in you know you can go into the libraries and find them um, I, I do want to say Shmuel, that a lot of those young adult books, I, I was hesitant of giving them to my kids in some ways. Uh, after a while, I trusted them. But th- it, there has been a tendency to to put objectionable material into those. Uh, it, it, again, there, it, it, it takes a lot more chokhmah, uh to find the angst that um, you know Oliver Twist was going through. Uh, you have to go get through a lot more of uh, specific, sometimes Elizabethan dialogue uh, to figure out. You know, what the idea that the author is really trying to say. Here was kids from today talking about the issues that they have. Um, I would love it if a kid could process that by reading a classic, reading a classic, even if it's a, a Jack London classic of, 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 of and, and recognizing, you know, those were the books that children loved adventure stories, but adventure stories where, you know, he, anthrop- he anthropomorphized a dog to the point that you could somehow relate to, you know, Fang's uh, being an outsider. And you can somehow relate to the fact that Fang has to prove himself. And even though it's a dog, but that allowed you to process those emotions. I, I, I think that what our generation wanted is without any masachim, right? Without the beauty of the uh, of the filter. What they wanted is, okay, I'm being bullied. Let me read the story of a kid being bullied, like chicken soup for the soul, so to speak. I think one of the things that we know from learning, and this is, of course, one of my favorite subjects, one of the reasons why learning is so therapeutic 
is because it allows you to enter what seems to be a different world, a different sort of situation, but yet it provides answers and, and, and pathways for you, even though the, the, the dramatis personae are very different than you are, because you are able to extract the basic idea. Learning forces you to think about th- th- what is really, you know, why is Fang in the case of White Fang, why is Oliver Twist, what's going on in terms of his relationship to Fagan? You know, will he be tempted one way or another? And I think that if you're able to uh, strip away the lavush and able to savor some of the beautiful uh, language as well, you're able to distill a message that speaks to you, surprisingly. But it's a message which in some ways might be stronger than the very, oh, you want to hear a kid who was in trouble? Here's another kid who was in trouble. Let's hear what he had to say. No, this kid. Uh, two ironic things there. One is that the people who are Mahshiv Torah, who understand deep thought, were looking for pop light uh, literature because, because of fear, right? So rather than, rather than exercise discernment, and go through books to make sure that they are appropriate. Ah, we'll take the we're too afraid of that. We, it, it's yeah. And the biggest irony is that in the attempt to protect our community from who knows what out there, we ended up allowing something that affected our community and harmed our community way worse than anything Jack London ever did. Right. You know, I, I would even you actually want to be drawn into something and figure out where's this going, what's going on. Why is this happening? And, 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 and those are the skills that can be brought to the fore. Um, and, and that's the reason why I think, whether it's Midrashim or the original Grimm's fairy tales or whatever they are, are able in many ways with their, to answer the, 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 the bell about what's really bothering the person in ways that the direct approach doesn't. Now, I think both of us here are really talking into the wind because we know that there's just going to be an, there'll be another Walder type book that's going to rise up, right? Because if, if, if Ron Eisman and everybody else gets their way uh, in America and then, of course, already in Eretz Yisrael, those books will be verboten. And then there's going to be a call for someone else to do something similar and to present a book for children. And you know what it's going to be. It's going to be basically, you know, somebody's, it's going to be a knockoff of Walder, but it's going to be written by someone of impeccable uh, character. So, right. But, 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 but you're saying that. Actually, yeah, it's the same thing in Chinuch. Like Chinuch is being driven by fear, the desperate fear that kids are going to be exposed to the world. Well, I have news for you. They're going to be exposed to the world. Nothing you can do is going to stop it. And if you really want to be mechanech, you should be teaching them how to deal with those things when, not if, they are exposed, right? So, when, but when fear is driving it, it's we have to build a wall, and we're going to build it so high that, that it won't come over the walls. A nechdegetag doesn't exist in today in the modern world. It will breach the walls. The walls will be breached. Well, I, again, well, I, I think we've definitely, uh, yeah are always going to need something. I think that's what Walder proved. Kids are going to want something more than just, uh, you know, Gemar Rashi Tesis, more than just uh, the reading, writing, arithmetic of Lamud Kodesh. And we should be ready to try to give them that, as you said, 
in some way. And and not only to get to, ready to give them that, to and I think Art Scroll did a good job in their um the 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 books that they have published. Uh, it's called WordPress or something like that. They they don't want it to be called Art Scroll, but they have done a pretty decent job in uh, uh, giving slightly edited selections of classic literature for high school students to read. Um, and, and those books are circulating in many of the yeshivas. Um, I know some of the women who are classmates of mine that we can mine. And, and look, you know, Patola maybe we de Shimon, Shimon maybe we de Zima. To me, you know, a hammer hits a nail. To me, even a person who has problems, get him thinking about something else. Get him thinking about an interesting chazal. Get him thinking about something that's fascinating. Engage their mind in trying to understand. And the, the, the innate ava that I think every yid has, even the ones that have a damaged circuit somewhere, but the innate ava that every Jew definitely has for Torah and for ideas of Torah, I think, again, it's, I'm, 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 again, I, I admit that it's my own personal shita, but I, I, I think that that could work. It could work. Now, does that, does that mean that you have to turn the pieces from Dickens or from Twain into Tyra? No, but it's the same idea, which is get your cup involved in this. Think about this. Question this. Um, and you'll see that that, that that this is something that will strike you. This is something that's going to keep you occupied. This is something that you're going to, and even though, like you said, their hero is going to somehow, you know, drop into this person's mind, but the person is the person got something exciting to think about. He's got something exciting to learn, exciting to be able to uh, to achieve, and maybe that could really, in, in many ways, dampen, if not eliminate. Uh, those, those, these, the, the monsters that we've been talking about. Rav Shmuel, thank you so much for your time, and we will uh, hopefully uh, again get you back here again on On Principle. Be well. Right, thanks for having me. Very interesting discussion. Cultive. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 